Good morning and welcome you to worship this morning uh, on this Memorial Day weekend. I hope your weekend is going well. I hope you are well as we come together to join in worship. Uh, as we come together to join in worship, um, again, as I mentioned, it's Memorial Day. Please take some time over the course of the next several days to, um, to uh, pray, to give thanks to those who have given the greatest a sacrifice that they can give their lives for our freedoms that we have, and we will remember those not just today, but tomorrow as well. Um, as we come together again, I ask you, if this is your first time with us on the broadcast, uh, you can text the word WELCOME to 570-566-2049. Uh, you can text WELCOME there. If you've been with us before and want to connect and just to say hello, you can text hello to that particular number, 570-566-2049. Uh, uh, if you have a prayer request, you can text the word PRAY to 570-566-2049. And finally, if you want to set up some online giving to assist the church, you can do that at the same number, 570-566-2049. Uh, as we come together today. I want to again welcome you. Uh, just a couple of notes, as I mentioned, uh, we're Memorial Day weekend that we're at. Today is also a couple of important days in the Christian calendar. This is Ascension Sunday. Uh, Thursday of this past week was Ascension Day when we remember Jesus going up into heaven uh, and the disciples, excuse me, waiting for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And I'll be preaching on Ascension Day today, but today is also an important day for the United Methodist Church. It's Aldersgate Day. It's the reminder when John Wesley went to the church and the meeting at Aldersgate in order uh, to, he was having some difficulty. He didn't believe that God loved him. He was struggling with his uh, vocation as a pastor, as a priest. Uh, and there he heard the word and he had his heart, as he says, strangely warmed. He knew that God loved him. He knew how important he was to God and to continue his mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, one last thing I want to share before we get our worship started. Uh, I just need to say that this past week, uh, our president uh, urged all governors uh, to allow churches to open. Uh, that the church, the country is in a time when we need prayer, and so we need to open the church. And I know when I say to you that you can pray even if you're not in the building. The church, folks, is not, the church building is not the church. The people of the church, all through the Bible, when we hear the word church or any kind of gathering, we are talking about the people of God. And so even though we are not physically together, we are virtually together, uh, we are still doing things. We are calling our friends. We are checking in our neighbors. We are running errands for people. We are paying it forward. Uh, as people have offered blessings to us, then we bless others uh, during this very difficult time. Uh, so the church is active. Um, I once saw a picture this past week that mentioned uh, the church may be empty, the building may be empty, but the church has been deployed. In other words, the people have been deployed. They're not in the building. They're in the world serving Christ as we serve each other. So let's, with that in mind, let's uh, focus our hearts and minds on worshiping uh, God by, and I've got to get a couple things together here, let's. I'm doing something new. I, I should have said that as well. I have some software where I'm actually streaming to three different sites at the same time. I also, you can't see it in camera, but my phone is here on a Zoom meeting. 
uh, and, and so people are able to hear the audio of what's happening today as well. So uh, as we go forward today, I'm, please offer a little bit of grace uh, as we uh, join together in this. Um, I have to do a couple of clicks here, and then uh, we will begin our worship together. Let's join together in our call to worship today. At the presence of God, we rejoice, glorifying the one who is parent of all orphans. In the presence of Jesus Christ, we listen to the voice who calls us to humbly serve others. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we speak, making God's love known to the world forsaken in our midst. Our first hymn, as you will hear it, and the words will be on the screen, many of you uh, who are listening may be able to remember these words by heart. This is one of my favorite hymns. Um, as we are reminded to tell the story, I can hear my grandmother sing this one. I love to tell the story. Thank you. 
join together in our opening prayer this morning. Living God, we confess that our faith is sometimes weak. Our love for others can be faint. Our prayers are often timid and our gratitude is frequently unconvincing. When we stand looking toward heaven, yet feel far from you, you draw near in mercy to forgive us and fill us with your power. Through the grace of Jesus, our resurrected Savior. Amen. Let's join together in a time of silent prayer and confession. Sisters and brothers, as Christ is our witness, God's power to pardon is immeasurable. Therefore proclaim, forgive me, therefore proclaim this good news to the ends of the earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory be to God. Amen. Let's join together before we hear our passage from Acts today. Uh, let's hear these Let's pray these prayer, this prayer together. Come, Holy Spirit, open our minds to see the power of Scripture to give life. Enlighten our hearts that we might see Christ in all whom we meet. In the name of the one, holy and living God, to whom we give all glory. Amen. Our lesson today comes from the very beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Hear these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up into the sky intently as he was going, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have been seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. 
Just give me one minute while I do what I need to do here. Again, this is a new thing I'm trying, but I'm hoping that it will work here. As we prepare our hearts and minds to hear God's word, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, amen. You heard me mention the Mount of Olives in the scripture. It was a popular place that the disciples and Jesus had gone in Jerusalem. But if you travel there today, and you could travel there a long time ago, and it would be there there's a very small chapel. They call it a church, but I'm calling it a chapel. <laughs> Surrounded by a large stone wall. This building isn't very big. It fits maybe 15 or 20 people in it. Maybe a little bit more. And it was built during the time of the Crusaders. And it's called the Chapel of the Ascension. Unlike the popular and crowded church of the Holy Sepulcher, where they believe, you know, Jesus tomb was, which marks the site of the crucifixion and the burial, this little chapel sees very few visitors. I can attest to that, to the one day that we went there when I was in Israel. Um, there was just our group that was there. The chapel, believe it or not, is overseen by Muslims since the end of the Crusades. It marks the traditional site of Jesus' ascension into heaven. There's actually an area that's kind of marked off, which has a footprint in it, and it's believed, footprint in stone, and it's believed to be the footprint of Jesus. Again, it is a traditional site. It's one where that's where they believe that Jesus ascended into heaven from. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, and so they maintain the site and open it for Christian pilgrims to see what's going on inside, and there isn't a lot in there, believe me. What is inside is a small area Again, revealing the footprint of Jesus, the place where he stood as he was taken up to heaven. Pilgrims in the medieval period would take home dust from this little spot as relics of their visit to the Holy Land. But like the pieces of what's called the true cross, if you took that sacred dust and put it together, Jesus' footprint would be about size 500. The chapel is often not on the main tour route for visitors in the Holy Land today, but Maybe that's because the ascension has been downplayed in the story of Jesus and in many Christian churches. Yet the ascension is important to our understanding of the story of Jesus and the church. Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus tells his disciples what they are to do next. There on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gives his disciples a strategy for fulfilling this new resurrection life this new creation in the present. He spent three years instructing and training them for this moment, the right now, and then for the future, as he ascends to take his royal place with God. He commissions the disciples to carry on his work until he returns to bring it to full completion. So how does that movement unfold? And the question for us today is, what's our part in that? Three key elements in our scripture today from Acts reveal how 
we as individual disciples of Jesus Christ and as the body of Christ, the church together, are to be part of the transformational movement that Jesus launched in the world. Those three elements are word, waiting, and witnessing. Let's talk about the word first. In verses 1 through 3, Luke gives us symbols and a synopsis of what Jesus did and taught in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. 40, of course, is a number, an important number in the Bible because it's a number of preparation. Noah was in the ark for 40 days. Israel was in the desert for 40 years. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. All of those foundations, that 40, denoted the beginning, the preparation. We've had these 40 days between Easter and Ascension. And the next 10, we call this time the great 50 days because it leads up to next week, which is Pentecost. But during this particular time between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus was preparing the disciples for their new mission, both by teaching them about the kingdom of God and by giving them convincing proofs, proofs that he was indeed raised from the dead. Even after three years of teaching, Jesus spent those days instructing the disciples before he leaves them, before they go charging off into the world. Jesus wants them to wait to make sure they have read all the directions. And what were those directions? Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, tells us at the end of his Gospel, in Luke chapter 24, it says that Jesus' primary instruction to the disciples was grounded in Scripture. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus uses the whole story of Scripture to place his ministry, death, and resurrection into a context that they can understand. Whatever we believe, whatever we do, has to be grounded in God's word and in the words that Jesus gives us. If we're going to follow Jesus, that is, to be the people we are called to be who announce the presence of the kingdom of God, then we have to be continuing students of Scripture. We have to be engaged in it every day, just like Jesus was. Daily reading, regular study with others, anchors us in our sense of mission. This engaging in the Word leads to that second task that I mentioned that we need to embrace as the people of Jesus. Waiting. In verse 4, Jesus orders his disciples not to go rushing off into the world with this newfound knowledge that they have, but rather they are to wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now you and I all know that waiting isn't something that we humans do very well. The disciples were no exception. Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem for God to give them his promised empowering spirit. But the disciples respond by asking an impatient question, much like our kids in the back seat, are we there yet? 
Yeah, yeah, but Lord, is it time? Is this it? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They are right, of course, in connecting Jesus' resurrection with the restoration, but of the whole world, not just Israel. But it came through the promise that Israel was given. This is what the scriptures are about, after all, and Jesus has instructed them as such. But they misunderstand that his promise of restoration needs to be proclaimed not just here, but throughout the world. They were not merely bystanders to this project, but rather the ones who will help to bring it to reality. This is the work that Jesus had been doing all along, and now it will be their work. It will not be an easy task, and they won't be able to do it on their own. Jesus did not choose the disciples because they were best and the brightest and the most capable. He chose them as God often chooses people, including you and I, because God's power can be revealed through us. They had no power of their own, only the power that God would give them. And that power came through the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit coming upon them at Pentecost. But that's another sermon. Biblically speaking, waiting upon the Lord is not some layback activity. It's not a passive activity. It is active. We actively seek God's presence. We await it anxiously with anticipation while we are in the business of doing the mission and ministry of the church. Jesus tells his disciples they need to wait for the Spirit's power. They do so not by sitting around wondering when the Spirit will come, but rather by constantly devoting themselves to prayer. Notice also they don't wait as individuals who are hoping for a personal spiritual experience, but as a community of faithful people. When the Spirit comes, they are all together in one place. Besides biblical illiteracy, one of the major problems in the church today is our failure to wait upon the Lord. To wait upon the Spirit through prayer. The primary work of the church is done through the Spirit, and we wait on the Spirit in prayer. And apart from the Spirit, we can do nothing. When we fail to wait in prayer, we will fail because we try to do everything that's under our own power. So we have to continually be studying God's word to wait upon the Lord for the Spirit to guide us. And the third task is witnessing. Jesus tells the disciples that once the Spirit has come upon them and empowered them, they will be witnesses, his witnesses, in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is really the thesis statement, of, if you will, the guiding principle throughout the whole book of Acts, because this is precisely what the disciples do. But sometimes we wonder, what does that word witness really mean? In the first century world, when someone was enthroned as king or emperor, that new authority would take effect through what were called heralds. 
people announcing all throughout the territory, announcing the good news that they had a new king. This was good news indeed because the arrival of a new king meant the restoration of order and not the chaos of anarchy. Imagine, for example, if you will, a new Roman emperor coming to power and heralds being sent as far as Britain and Spain and Egypt, literally to the ends of the empire to announce the emperor's enthronement. That's the image that we are called to see here. The disciples ask about the kingdom, when it will come about, and Jesus tells them in one sense, it's already here. Because the king has defeated the enemy of sin and death. That is for Jesus, that's what they are, the enemies of sin and death. And he is taking his place as God's Messiah and the world's righteous ruler. And yet his kingdom is not all the way here yet. The world is still not fully and visibly living under God's just and healing power. The kingdom is already here and not fully here. We as disciples live in this in-between time just as they did. And we know what in-between time is, right? We've been living it for the last how many months? How many weeks? How many days? Are you counting the hours since you've been staying at home? And if you're an essential worker, have you been wondering when you're going to get a break? The disciples are to go out as heralds and proclaim that God's kingdom is at hand. And then Jesus gives them their travel agenda, and they are to start in Jerusalem, where Jesus had been crucified and where people were looking for them too. They were to go to Judea and Samaria. They were to go to the ends of the world, to the Roman Empire that already had a lord named Caesar and would not take kindly to the enthronement of a rival. The disciples would bear good news, but it would be bad news to some. It's no coincidence that the Greek word for witness and martyr is the same. To be a witness for Jesus then means a whole lot more than just telling the story about how an individual gets to heaven, as it has sometimes been understood. To be a witness is to proclaim and demonstrate Christ's lordship in our lives. To tell those stories of forgiveness. To tell those stories of transformation. Recall how God's grace has made us new again. Baptism marks us as a people who have been transformed by God's grace in Christ and his lordship over our lives. And when we ourselves have said yes to Jesus' call to be witnesses, we then demonstrate what that looks like through our lifestyle, through our decisions, through our actions, through our love for the world around us that is God's creation. It's a witness that lifts the poor, that eats with sinners, that forgives sins, that brings healing, that demonstrates sacrificial love. It's a witness that's grounded in a Jesus-shaped vision of the world as God's kingdom. It's a witness that compels the world to ask, who is your Lord? In fact, Jesus implies that his disciples will not only be his heralds and his witnesses, 
but they will also continue his work. At the end of the passage, Jesus ascends in a cloud, leaving the disciples standing there gawking at this amazing, awe-inspiring sight. In scripture, a cloud is very often associated with God's presence, who guided the Israelites from Egypt in a pillar of cloud, met Moses in a cloud on Mount Sinai, and dwelt in a cloud in the tabernacle. Jesus then ascends into God's presence, which isn't far from us, and he will return as he has promised. Heaven and earth are interweaving realities, and Luke wants us to be reminded of that reality and that Jesus hasn't gone very far. Jesus still is present in the Spirit, empowering each and every one of his disciples to do the work he's called them to do. But there's another kind of reference here that Luke is making. It goes back to the story of Elijah and Elisha in 2 Kings. Elijah, the prophet, at the end of his life, ascends to heaven in a whirlwind. This comes after Elisha has asked for a double portion of his mentor Elijah's spirit. Elisha actually sees Elijah go in this way. And the only thing left is Elijah's mantle, much like a stole. It's a marking. Elisha picks up Elijah's fallen mantle, his symbol of prophetic authority, and he carries on Elijah's work. The ascension of Jesus acts in a similar way. Jesus is taken up, and we are called to pick up his mantle to continue the work in the world today. Passage ends with the disciples staring up into the sky in verse 11. A lot of us do that, don't we? Focusing all our attention on a heavenly destiny or waiting for the sky to fall like Chicken Little. But the two angels who show up tell the disciples of Jesus that the sky isn't their destiny. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. So it's at that moment, after staring up in the sky, watching this awe-inspiring image happen, that they reach down, they pick up the mantle of Jesus, and they prepare to go to work. Turn your gaze from the sky and toward the world that needs the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. Go and be witnesses. When the crusaders built that chapel on the Mount of Olives, it was originally open to the sky. But since, a roof has been put on it. Whether that was for religious reasons or even defensive reasons, we don't know. But there does seem to be a missional connection. The closed stone dome and the dark interior compels those who visit inside the church to go outside. When you go outside, there is a beautiful panorama of Jerusalem. Back in the days of the American West, there used to be three classes of tickets on the old stagecoaches. 
The ride was equally bumpy and dusty no matter which ticket you held. The real value of the ticket emerged when the stagecoach got stuck. If you held a first class ticket, it was your privilege to remain inside the coach while the crew labored to push it out of a ditch. If you held a second class ticket, you were expected to step down from the coach and stand off to the side while they pushed it out of the ditch. But if you had a third class ticket, you had to get out, roll up your sleeves, and push. Except for those who were young, disabled, or needing the community's special care, there aren't any tickets in the church except third-class tickets. Everyone is expected to do the work of the kingdom and use their talents to advance the kingdom of God and the mission of Jesus Christ. There isn't any standing around. There's no looking up to heaven. We are to study God's word. We are to do that as we wait. And in that waiting, we are to be witnesses doing the work that Christ called us to do. May you be the disciple of Jesus who no longer keeps staring up at the sky, but continually looks out at the world and seeing every day as an opportunity to be a herald of the Lord in what we say and what you do. Yeah, we know Jesus will come back, but for now the mantle of Christ has been laid down when he ascended and we are called to pick it up. There is work to be done. Jesus chose you to work through you, to have his work done through you. How are you doing that now? The church may be empty in front of me, but I know outside these walls, the people of these two churches are working in such a way that they're contacting their neighbors, their friends, they're running errands, they're doing things in the name of Christ and they don't even know they're doing it. They just thought it was doing a good deed. And while there's nothing wrong with that, the fact of the matter is we are doing Christ's work in the midst of a difficult time, being witnesses, studying the word, and waiting to see where God is calling us to go next. God chose you. Christ chose you. You didn't choose him. So that he could work in and through you, using your talents, your gifts, your graces, so that others would ask the question, why do you have this hope? I have it because I know I serve a risen Savior, and he's in the world today. Amen. As we come together at our time of prayer, we're called upon to lift each other up, to share the names of those who out louder in the silence of our hearts, who are hurting, who are in pain, who are struggling. I encourage you to do that wherever you're at. You can speak it out loud. There'll be that time. I'll give you some time to do that as I pray. And then I'll share other prayer concerns that I have received. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
O powerful God, you reign over all the earth, and all the nations are subject to your word. There is no people, there are no people, who can stand in equal to your majesty. We come this day to sing your praises and exalt your holy name. We've heard the promises that we would not be left alone, yet we so often act as if we believe that we must depend only upon ourselves. Time and again, we seek to follow our own ways and fail to hear your sustaining word. We know that Jesus has ascended to sit at your right hand and to be the head of your church. But often we allow controversy to allow divisions in the body of Christ where we have contributed to that separation, we dishonor you. In your abundant mercy, forgive us our transgressions and restore us to praise you. By the gift of your Holy Spirit, open to us afresh the words of scripture that we might be strengthened in our faith and given a mind to spread the good news of Jesus' place in glory to all the world. As you subdue the nations that would rebel against you, so subdue the diseases and hurt that cause your children to suffer. Receive into your care those who struggle this day with brokenness of body or mind or spirit and give them a measure of your peace. I'd encourage you to take this silent time now to speak out loud or in the silence of your hearts those who are on your minds today. these prayers for Nathan, for Marianne and William, for Beverly and Ray, for Betty and Mel, for Joyce, for Jim and Barb, for Tom and Mary, for Robin and JP, for Jerry and Fashan, for Lucy for Kim and Dan. We pray for our United Methodist Church and specifically for churches and pastors in transition as they're moving and going to different places and different charges. We pray for James and Christy, for John and Olivia, for Mike and Ashley, for Jacoby and Lily, for Tom and Clara, for Kathy and Caitlin, for Tom and Pat, for Dawn and Aaron. As we continue to move through this COVID-19 crisis, we ask you to be with our leaders in government, our local leaders, state and federal. We ask you to be with leaders around the country as they try to do their best to find ways to open up our country in a safe way. It's that time of year when we celebrate graduates, we give you thanks for their learning. While this has not been the year they had expected, they still have great potential as they move on into the world. So we lift them up today. 
And even though we're talking about the COVID-19 crisis daily, we hear about terrible flooding in Michigan. We lift up the people there, the first responders there. We hear this morning of tornadoes in the central part of our country. Horrific devastation. We pray for them as well. We pray for our people on the front lines, the essential workers, including EMS and fire departments and police, for those who work in the hospitals and the call takers at 911. We lift up our military for their families, wherever they may be serving. And we pray this day, this weekend, as we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, we remember and honor those who have fallen and given the greatest sacrifice their lives for their country. Lord, let us not stand looking into heaven for Jesus' return, but rather to work for the fulfillment of his promises here on earth until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Hear us, for we pray in the name of the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's hear our final hymn. Crown him with many crowns. Thank you. 
Trying to get this to advance. There we go. As we go forth into the world, take these words with you. Let's join together. The hour has come to serve those around us, to shoulder the burdens of our sisters, to ease the pain of our brothers. The hour has come to glorify God with our prayers as well as our praise, with songs as well as acts of service. Thank you for joining us here today. Again, you can let us know that you were with us by texting 570-566-2049. I encourage you to take this blessing as well with you. As you go forth into the world, pick up the mantle that Christ put down at the ascension because you have been called, you have been chosen to be a witness, to study the word, to wait upon the Lord and to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world and take the blessing of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now and always. Amen. Have a great week, friends.